World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi everyone, this is Jane. And just before we get into this episode, I want to remind you of all the really great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io. Over there, you can check out all the online seminars and workshops we do, as well as our team development programs. You'll also find articles on topics to help you thrive at work. So that's www.worldofwork.io. Now let's get on to the episode. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. We've got a really, really exciting conversation today. We're going to be speaking to Jeff Ware, who's actually a bit of a friend of a show. He's somebody we met, um, Jen and I met several years ago when we were starting out on this journey of the World of Work project and, and we've always been in touch uh, throughout that time. So it's great to finally get a chance to speak to him. Um, this is Jeff Way. He's a, a coach and works in the L&D space and does development work like that. And he's also recently the author of a book called Stuck Now What? And today we're going to be speaking a lot about that and some of the themes in that book about happiness and fulfillment and careers and how we can shape our, our careers a little bit more. But before we get into that, Jeff, could you say hi and introduce yourself to the audience and say a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, James and, and Jane, who's not with us today, um, thank you both very much indeed for, for giving me the opportunity um, to come along and share a little bit uh, with, with you and your audience uh, in terms of the work that, that I've been doing over the last, um, well, it feels like forever, but, but certainly the last you know, 15, 18 months when, when it comes to putting that into uh, something tangible like the book. So thank you very much indeed. Um, I am I am a coach. I'm now an author, which which I still pinch myself about, uh, if I'm being completely honest with you. Um, I've been facilitating in the learning and development space for probably 16, 17 years now. And this is very much uh, something that I love. Um, I haven't always thought that I would become uh, an L&D type professional as such. Um, my first uh, venture into a career was hospitality, which, which stood me in good stead. And then I moved into sales and, and banking, which provided me with with lots of interesting experiences is probably the best way to describe them. But but they're all part of the journey that I've been on. And I use them in the learning and development space, whether that's one-on-one working with people in, in a coaching capacity or, or indeed in organisations looking at leadership and management programs and I absolutely love what I do and and I feel very privileged to be able to do what I do because it involves other people and uh, a degree of trust them to take them on journeys if if they so wish to go on those journeys and and make some changes in their lives so that's a little bit about me. Yeah that's brilliant and and you know what we always love to have conversations with people who've had these varied careers you know that, that richness that comes from a variety of different lived experiences and in different industries and different professions is something that we think is, is fantastic. Um, and I've had a little bit of time in the banking world myself. So there we go. We can talk about that uh, another time. Um, to start stuff off though, when we're talking about the book, you've got stuck. Now what? We're going to really be focusing today on, I guess, careers and maybe what it feels like to be stuck and what happiness is in a career and what are some of the things that we can do fundamentally to, to, try and create for ourselves more fulfilling and happiness-inducing careers. Um, and I guess I just want to start at the beginning and, and think about some of the basics. So if, if we're going to aspire to get these, these careers that give us happiness, a, a lot of people probably have stuff that pops into their mind about, this will make me happy in my career. This will be a sign that I'm having a good career. Have you got any thoughts on some of the things that people aspire to that maybe they think will make them happy, but in reality or empirically don't really lend themselves to happiness? 
yeah, I think it's a great place to start because because ultimately um, we all in, we all enter into careers for, for for different reasons. But there's a bit of a myth, really, and it's not just my my thoughts and my research and my experience around money being the most important thing, and then money being the contributing factor to determining how happy people are. Well, you know, I've, like you, listened to lots of interviews um, in the past where, you know, some of the richest people in the world uh, have been interviewed and said, you know what, I'm no happier than the person that's doing this job or, the, or this job. And, and so it has become this aspirational thing that, that many people are striving for. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because, you know, if we could just go back a few generations where, you know, they perhaps didn't have access to as much money or, or as a big an earning potential they, they've kind of handed that down and as each generation's followed them more opportunity has presented itself and and, and more levels of hierarchy in organizations have appeared to to what we've seen in the past and, and with that it's allowed people to aspire to the next level which has usually then brought this um, reward of more money and more recognition and so that's very much been the template for people going into careers and people going into organizations in terms of their measure of success. Now, it's served us to a point, but but actually, there is a whole host of other things that are important to us as human beings that contribute to whether or not we are happy. And the easiest way to demonstrate that is, is to ask the person, that wasn't happy at some point in their job, when they got a pay increase, were they any happier? And if it was for longer than a fortnight or, or three months, I would be very surprised, okay? And, and, and that's not me being flippant. That's fact in a lot of cases, okay? We see it all the time. People get promoted, they get given more money to keep them happy. And you will hear leaders in organizations say, give them some more money, that will keep them happy. It does initially because they associate that extra money with whatever it's going to allow them to do. But then they have to go back into work the following day or the following week and do the same thing that they weren't really happy with. So we've known this for a while. We just haven't stopped and paused and looked at, actually, why is it broken? And it's broken because, as I've already said, there's other factors that contribute to our happiness, not just in work, but in life. But we're talking about work, so let's let's focus on work. There's so many other things that are those driving reasons to get us out of bed in the morning, other than the pound sign that we're going to get in return at the end of each month. It's interesting that you speak about that, you know, that throwing more money at people in an effort to, to make them better. And, and as you were speaking, I was thinking about the word compensation. And fundamentally, that's kind of what a lot of this is. You know, we get paid, we get a salary, but we also get compensated for something that we contribute. And if that something that we contribute comes with more of a cost to us, we need more compensation to end up in that equilibrium of being indifferent about whether we keep working. And a story that's been around, this is um, the summer of 2021. A story that's been around this summer is for young bankers at Goldman Sachs who um, wrote a letter up the chain saying we have abhorrent working conditions and can't sleep uh, and all those types of things. And the response was, well, let's just pay them more money. Right. So that's an interesting, maybe old, uh, you know, less effective way of dealing with these things or maybe a slightly less informed way of assessing 
what we can do to improve the experiences of these people. So, so let's move on and talk a little bit about that. So if we say, you know, salary is, is one of those things or income is one of those things that is probably really a hygiene factor. Once you get a certain amount of money, it stops being a contributing factor to increased happiness, be it in work or, or more broadly. And there's some other things in, in our progression that sit with that as well, like potentially title or, um, you know, number of direct reports, all those things that we think maybe contribute to that. If we put those to one side, so we're not going to focus on these. What we want to do is we want to step away from all of that and say, what are the things that actually lead to an improved sense of satisfaction or happiness or contentment or well-being in work? And I guess I just want to start with that. If I were to ask you, what do you think some of those core factors are? What would you say? This is a really interesting one because in many ways, this is why organizations don't go there. Um, and, and what I'm alluding to is, is, is personal values. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they vary from individual to individual. So you imagine you're running an organization that has 150 employees. Potentially, you've, you've, you've got within those 150 employees a number of values, any number of values that are important to that person. And so in many ways, it's like, well, how do we keep all of these people happy if that's all their value? And this is why historically organizations have, have had their own vision and purpose or mission. But also aligned with that is these are the values that are important for us if we're going to be able to achieve this vision and this is how we want you to behave and this is why we exist. There's so many factors that that are important to people. And if you were to ask one individual, they would be different to others. But but I'll give you some examples of what's important to people. Health and well-being is important. Um, it's become more important over not just over the last 15, 16 months. The work that was more prevalent, like three, four or five years ago, health and well-being was was becoming more important. And within health and well-being, you've got working hours or you've got what we often describe. And and I've got my own view on this work life balance. And within that, then you've got, you know, number of hours that people are expected to work. And what we've seen in the last 15 months, especially is where people work. Now, all of these form the basis of, of employee health and well-being. Well, what is important to you from a well-being perspective will be different to me. And and in many ways, the old way of working or the frameworks for way of working were very kind of systematic. This is the place that we work from. These are the working hours that we operate within. Uh, These are the days that you need to work each week. Um, And you will get X amount of holidays, X amount of salary. You'll get these benefits and off you go. Well, Many of those things are what I call transactional, um, or, or as you've alluded to there, they're, from a motivational point of view, they're hygiene factors. But, but we, we've been evolving and we continue to evolve. And it's not just those factors now. It's whether or not people can, can finish early or work hours that are suited to them. It's whether or not they can do exercise before work because they know sometimes after work they've got no energy left. Um, it's whether they can take days off uh, without going through some long, drawn-out, winded process of booking holidays. But within that as well, you've also got family time and, and, and time with children. And, and historically, you know, again, we haven't necessarily viewed it, you know, openly. We've looked at, well, this is the process, this is the policy, this is what people need to fit into. What we're seeing now, and it started before the pandemic, and if anything, it's been amplified through through the, the pandemic over the last 15, 16 months. Is people have started to realise and ask themselves, what's important to me? And, and again, in the past, 
the model was, this is the place to work, these are the hours, these are the patterns, everybody fits in, this is what you're working towards, off you go. That was thrown up in the air March 2020 because the only way for a lot of organisations to survive was to say, you're going to have to work from home because we can't have you in the office. You're going to have to work at your kitchen table with your dog or your three-year-old or what have you, but we'll support you in the best possible way. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're, you know, you're not dressed as you would be for work as such, uh, or you've got your camera off on, 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 on the team meetings, or you need to do the school run, or you need to answer the door for the Amazon driver. And really what they were saying was, it's okay for you to be working more within the values that are important to you. And that worked. Largely, not for everybody, because some people have missed that environment of being in the office. But it worked for a lot of people, um, and now that's changing again because organisations, in, in in many cases, say we need to come back in and need to fit into this model or this template. And that's where we're going to see some fallout, and I think we're seeing it already. Um, we're not only talking about health and well-being; we're talking about family. We're talking about you know people's values around autonomy not just recognition or, or success as we would have seen in the past, we're seeing other things like flexibility, um, uh, empowerment, trust is becoming more prevalent for some people. They felt hugely trusted when they were working at home and probably more trusted when they work from home than they did in the office environment. But in some cases now, they're being asked to go back and that trust is being challenged. Uh, when our, challenge, when our trust is challenged, we, we don't feel as comfortable. We don't feel that we can operate. So there's a whole host of things that are important to individuals from a value perspective. If the organisations are prepared to go there, actually, they, they, they'll, they'll see some significant results. It feels like certainly over the last you know, 15, 16 months and, and probably in the run up to it, uh, we've reached a stage where many individuals are no longer taking part in a one-size-fits-all type experience of a workplace so you know it used to be we'd go in and everybody who was a grade 7 fq in the xx function whatever it is you know they had broadly the same experience right and and that was kind of a way we did things now that everybody's been put into a situation where we've adapted and created our own relationship with work and the own structure because by definition they're all unique experiences if we're all in a unique place it feels to me a little bit like that might have you know let a bit of a genie out of a bottle in terms of that difference of experience that maybe customization or personalization or choice aspect of what work means to us and, and the uniqueness of our experience do you think that's a bit of a catalyst in, in terms of helping or, or leading individuals who are working to think more about their experience and what matters to them yeah, it, it, it absolutely is. And in many ways, if, if this pandemic hadn't happened, we, we'd be in a similar position to, to where we were, you know, March 2020, where, you know, in terms of mental health um, and well-being, suicide, stress, anxiety, all of these things were going in the wrong direction. Um, you know, in many, the way I describe it, this big handbrake has been pulled and everybody's had to kind of jump forward and stop and kind of reassess. Um, I understand from an organizational point of view, the desire to, you know, and in some cases, individual point of view, to go back to this normality, because there was a degree of comfort to be taken from, from that framework. But again, 
like like the person that got that, that wasn't happy in work, they got the pay increase, but two weeks later was still miserable and not happy. Um, we have to accept that you know in the old way of working, there was a lot of people that weren't happy, even though they took comfort from the fact that my my job starts on a Monday at nine o'clock, I can finish at five o'clock on a Friday, I get X amount of holidays, this is my reward and what have you. It wasn't working, and and in many ways that that's where I wanted to go with my book initially. I left the publishing office with a working title of this is work, but it isn't working. Um, and it was my own kind of, I thought, a clever play on, hang on a minute, we say this is work, but it's not working. And the more I played about with it, the more I thought about it and, and, and shared it with a couple of people, I thought, I'm going to have to explain this too much for people to get the point. Um, but the point is real. It wasn't working for a lot of people. Yet we've still got this desire in some cases to go back. And I think this is where some organisations are holding out for a, a hybrid model because a hybrid model is is a sense of a, a framework and something they can operate within and something that appears fair um, which then people have to fit in with well some will but some won't some will appear to but then they'll quickly if they haven't already arrive into that working environment that hybrid model but they'll be feeling stuck and they'll be feeling I want to get out. This isn't for me. And it isn't for me because of the experience that I've had. And I, I've enjoyed that experience and I want that experience, but I can't have that anymore. And really, again, all we're talking about here is my values were being met. I could do more of the things that were important to me and still operate and function from a work perspective. But now they're not. They're, they're being challenged or they're being overlooked. And so I'm, I'm in this space of, I call it stuck, but it's about being unsure. And when I mean when I say unsure or stuck, it's I'm I'm ready to move somewhere because this isn't helping me. Because I feel like I don't know what to do, but I want to do something else because this isn't helping me. And this is where people in some ways start when it comes to going down that road to stress. And that comes from pressure and that can lead to anxiety. And in some cases it can lead to, you know, depression. But, but you'll see it manifest initially in terms of people start to get sick or, or take sick days or their absence goes up or, you know, they'll have days where their performance is not as good as it was. And, you know, there's lots of indicators for leaders and organisations to realise when people get stuck. Often we overlook them, James. And this is this is the ironic thing. And, I, and, I, and I've labelled them and I don't like to label them as plodders. We overlook them because we think they're the plodders in a working sense. And we think, well, they're OK because they just they come in, they do the job, they go home, they create little fuss and they get on with it. And they they're resistant to change in some cases, but they go with the flow. And we refer to them as a safe pair of hands. You know, Mary in finance, been here years. You know, she doesn't cause a fuss. She's OK. She's not a high flyer. And she's not one of those people on the curve at the bottom that's causing aggravation. I don't have to, you know, take them through a HR process. But there's so many signs for this group. And, you know, generally, you're, you're going to be looking at 60% of your organisation that could find themselves in this space. You've just got to know what the signs are and then have different conversations with them to help them move out of this place. And I'm a big believer. I've written this book not for individuals necessarily that are stuck, 
although it will help those people and that's the lovely feedback that's coming through but for organizations that have that foresight that can see those people in that middle bracket if you like in their organization are maybe getting stuck what do i do with them how do i help them and create an environment that allows them to get themselves unstuck and move forward in whatever they want to do but within the business not necessarily leaving the business which the reality is some will, but some will stay and some will will get stuck. And that's not helpful for them or indeed the organization. When you were speaking there about that description of, of, of being stuck, I think there's a lot of really powerful stuff in there. And, and that word stuck is, is strong. It, it's got connotations of being, you know, in a viscous liquid where you just aren't free. You're unagile. You're somewhat lacking in control. And in my mind, I was thinking it's kind of like, you know, living in black and white when you could be living in color. That's kind of your, if your working experience is resigned to being in this black and white world and you are, you know, you might be pejoratively described as a plotter with that, with that assumption that you're happy to be a plotter, but really it, it feels like the color's just been drained every time and you're just in that role and, and you are, like you say, stuck there. I think that's a really, really powerful, um, powerful phrase. Um, so I guess, if we find ourselves stuck or if we think there's somebody is in our in our team is stuck or in our organization and and we agree that doing something about that you know bringing the color back to our life unsticking them would be a good thing to do it feels like there may be several different ways that we could go about changing or introducing change to help them be unstuck it feels like there's an aspect maybe of personal change and there's an aspect of change to the things that they do. So we can change ourselves or we can change our job. Is that split fair? Would you Do you think there are things in both of those areas we could do? And, and where would you start? I think that tends to be how we look at it. Um, and in, in many cases where, where people where people go first, and, and it's maybe not with, with a great deal of conviction, but where they tend to go first is they tend to go to their line manager or they tend to look around the business and say, well, what else could I be doing? In some cases, they might fall into the trap of saying, well, if I had more money, I'll be happy. Well, we know that doesn't work in a lot of cases. Or if it does, it's only short term. But 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 they'll reach out to where they're at. They'll look for opportunities. They might apply for a job internally. They might say to their manager, but again, not with any great conviction, where's my next move? I want to do something different. I've been doing this for a while. And the reason I say that that tends to be what people do first is because the other thought, is leaving the business and for most people to entertain and sit with that thought of leaving the business it takes not in all cases but in many cases it takes a lot more effort and a lot more energy and the reason i say that is because they've got themselves comfortable they've been whatever they've been in that business for however long they're getting the salary they have good days and bad days they tell themselves that okay these are the people that dread monday Okay, and on a Monday, say, Oh, here we go again. And these are also the people that you know celebrate hump day on a Wednesday. I mean, what on earth is hump day? Okay, and I say to people, What's hump day? It's like, Oh, it's halfway through the week, we're nearly at the weekend. I'm like, This is an indication that what you're doing, you're not getting as much fulfillment from as you'd like to. You're accepting it because the other option is to entertain the idea of leaving. I think what happens with some people is if they follow their instinct first of all and they they don't get a positive response from the manager or a role doesn't appear or there isn't the scope to to move into that next position that's when they start to look elsewhere that's where their head 
and their attention gets turned, that's where you know um, recruitment agencies start to tap into these people, and then they then they've got a choice. And I and I've seen it. I've had a conversation with somebody this week of the exact same thing that I'm describing. I'm happy where I am. Usually means <laughs> I'm not 100% happy where I am. But I've been approached and offered this job elsewhere on more money. Okay, right. Here we go. Um, so what are you saying to me? Well, actually, if I got more money, I'd stay where I am. Right, okay. Well, you need to think about how you're going to position this. And actually, let's not just look at money. Let's part that and look at what else do you enjoy about what you're doing? But what else do you want to enjoy in this organization? That if you were to approach your manager and say, you know what? I'd really like to do this. I'd really like to do that. I'd like to know about this. I'd like to grow in this area. And and, and it is important for me to, to get recognized and rewarded as I'm doing that or as I'm going along. You're going to have a different type of conversation. Um, now, they don't always happen because the individual, if they don't get a positive response and they then start looking elsewhere and they then get another offer, you know, what tends to happen is at that point of offer, they come in and say, oh, by the way, company X has offered me X amount more um, and I'm thinking of going. Even then, they're holding out to stay where they are because this is how we're conditioned as human beings. We are tribal, as you know, uh, and we are drawn to connection with one another. So even if we don't like our employer or the environment that we work in, we've built relationships. OK, people don't leave organisations and say, you know, what? I hated the people I worked with. I hated my team. Um, you know, they tend to leave and say, I didn't like my manager. I didn't like the culture. OK, and they keep in touch with those friends. And those can be enough of a reason for people to stay, which isn't always a good enough reason, but they tell themselves it is. Um, some people go and they go in the hope that where they're going, it will be much more aligned. They think they're going for more money, but actually they're not. Unconsciously, the questions they ask, you know, that what they're picking up, the vibes when they go and have a look around the organisation or the research they do is they're looking to see are more of my important values going to be met here? Because if, if they are, then I'll stay. And actually, while we're talking about people that maybe are unhappy and people that might leave, it, it works the other way. Those people that are happy, that stay and stay longer and become loyal and become the champions then and the storytellers in the future for people coming through are the ones that have had more of their personal values aligned and being met by the organisation. They just haven't brought that into the conversation necessarily. As you were, as you were talking to you about, I, I was thinking a little bit about how you know, it, it what we're describing with being stuck, it's not, um, it's maybe not a binary thing. You don't go along unstuck and then suddenly become stuck. It's probably a gradual shift and change and, and your change in experience is a result of small changes around the organization, changes in yourself, changes in your contacts, changes in your peers, all those changes. So I could imagine there's a bit of a, a boiled frog type of um analogy with this in that you know the water around you gets warmer and warmer and warmer and, and you don't notice each incremental piece but eventually it's boiling do, do you do you get a sense that people are necessarily aware that they've become stuck is there a moment of realization how do, how do you think that sort of perception and self-awareness associated with being stuck manifests itself for people 
I don't know that people necessarily see themselves as being stuck. Um, and, and, and that's okay because, you know, for some people, this, this, this idea will be a relatively new one. But I think if they're honest with themselves, they'll realize that things aren't right. Okay, and, and, and often managers and leaders will say to me, well, how do I know if one of my people is stuck? They appear to be doing okay, and they probably are doing okay. And in terms of their performance, they're doing okay, and they probably fit into the, the plodder category again. So apologies to, to the plodders. But if you want to know if your people are stuck, you need to understand the types of conversations they're having with their loved ones when they get home each evening or before they leave work or their friends if they're not in a relationship or they live on their own. Those are the signs. And and people say, well, how does that work? And I'm like, okay. So you get home and you describe your day to your loved one tonight. Okay. How are you going to describe it? Oh, it's been brilliant. I've I've enjoyed this. I had a brilliant conversation with so-and-so. I've helped so-and-so as well. They're progressing. They're developing. They took on board that idea. Um, I've been acknowledged by the leadership team as well. That's been recognized. Um, they want to put me on this program. Um, yeah, the day's flown by. I, just, I don't know where the time's gone. Okay, we can, we can absolutely look at that and say a lot of the important values for that person are, are in alignment, have been met. Versus the conversation of the person that gets home and says, you know what? What an absolute horror of a day. Okay, you won't believe what happened to me in this meeting. So-and-so overspoke me and shut me down. Okay, I I was then late to another meeting uh, and I was challenged and I got into some conflict here. I've then sat down and, you know, what I've asked this person to do, they haven't done it. So I'm going to have to spend more time with them. Both parties are describing the same thing. They're describing the values that are important to them. The person that's had a bad experience is telling us that actually being recognised and being seen to have a voice and and maybe being, being able to influence and maybe having some authority, these things are important to them. And really, without saying it with those labels and those values, they're saying to their, their loved one, and this is the part we can play sometimes, it's very challenging as the, as the other party when your partner comes home, is they're saying, I'm not happy because my values are out of alignment versus I am happy because my values are in alignment. And again, we all respond differently to how our loved one, you know, is going, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I've had a crap day as well, and this has gone wrong, and that thing I was expecting to land today, oh, you won't believe the problem. And and it, it, it's not helpful. It's it's reality in some cases. Um, but then we're saying, well, both parties' values aren't being met, and so what do we do then versus, well, I've had a great day as well. Let's go out and celebrate. You know, this is worth celebrating. So the signs are there. But leaders and managers have to have to look past the, and I see it all the time. I, I deliberately don't do it. I was in an organization on Wednesday. I won't go in of a morning when I'm working with a client and ask people how they're doing. Okay. Because managers do this all the time. Good evening last night. Yeah, not bad. Okay. Okay. Let's move on. Um, or good morning. Yeah, I'm not bad. How are you? Yeah. And then off we move. I'm the type of person that goes into organizations and says, what's going well and they're like what where's that come from and I'm like tell me what's going well because if I ask you what's not going well I'm never going to get anything positive um and again I'll see in those conversations 
how people light up or or what the changes in physiology and you know i i don't think it's that difficult but then i've been working in this space for a while and it's the space that i love working with leaders and managers because the better you know your people the better the signs that you will pick up and when you pick up those signs and and you know what james it can be something as simple as person x okay always brings in a pot lunch okay and always goes to part run at the weekend all right and you notice that over the last week they haven't brought their pot lunch in every any day they've gone to the canteen so they're making a different choice all right but they haven't told you on friday as they normally do which park run they're doing at the weekend those are signs and people were like well what do you mean jeff well there's a change there's a reason why they haven't brought in a pot lunch it's probably because they were either late going to bed or late getting up or they just don't care much about their health and well-being so they've been eating pizza all week well we can dismiss that and say well they're having a good week they, they can eat pizza if of course they can but the fact that they haven't told us about parkrun as well would probably indicate that they're not going to go to parkrun so if i'm tuned in as a leader i'm going to ask that person how was parkrun probably knowing that they didn't do it and then probably also wanting to explore i noticed you didn't bring a pat lunch last week what's happening you normally you normally got something healthy. You normally showing people you know what 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 green veg you're eating or this that didn't happen. How come? And then you'll start to understand what's happening or what's out of alignment. Now, leaders say to me, "Well, whose responsibility is it when it comes to personal value?" Because they're like, "Well," and I do. I encourage leaders all the time to go through you know, a particular values exercise. It, it's it, it's great at providing insight. And they'll say to me, well, these are their values, but how can I possibly meet those values? And I'm like, they're missing the point. It's not about you meeting those values. It's about having those values in front of you that says, person X, these are the values, okay? Um, number one is, is family time. Number two is security. Number three is autonomy. Number four is making a difference. And number five is being able to influence. You don't take ownership of those values for the individual. You say, right, which ones are being met at the moment? And which ones can you work on? And if you tell me that actually your number one value, family, is not being met, I'm going to challenge you and say, well, what does that look like? What does family time look like to you? Well, actually, family time means not working on my emails in the evening um, or doing stuff over the weekend. Right. Well, what can you do differently? to start meeting that value and how can I support you okay and that support can be a simple message as you walk out on a Friday that says remember leave your laptop here or put it to one side okay anything that happens over the weekend you can pick up on Monday it can be something as simple as that but it's the same with the other values understand what they mean to the individual and say what do they mean to you and how can you start to get more of those aligned in the role that you do or do we need to have a bit of honesty that says, actually, the role that you're doing right now is not aligned to your values. So let's work towards something else. And then how I, how can I support you? Um, and these are relatively new concepts for a lot of leaders and a lot of organizations. As I said earlier on, a lot of organizations have their own vision, their own mission and purpose, and they'll have their own values. But what, what they haven't necessarily done is look at individual values and say, how do, how do your individual values align to the business values? Because actually, when you look at successful organizations, that's what's happening. 
Consciously, we might not know that, but unconsciously, that's what's happening. You you mentioned there that you know this is a space that you love to work in, and you've worked in this space for a long time. And with that comes knowledge and language and insight and awareness and perception and all those types of things. And yet, if we go back a little bit in our conversation, when you were speaking about somebody coming home from work, talking about their day, a, a lot of the people in those conversations maybe don't have that awareness. So they're speaking around the subject and, and they might maybe know that something's been depleting for them or tiring or unrewarding or something's been fun and rewarding but but they can't necessarily use for building blocks of language around values that you can use what could somebody do to either develop that knowledge and understanding or or really start to interpret for themselves what their values are what their um you know what their touch points are what the building blocks are for them when it comes to reward and value in the workplace so the best thing any individual can do is be clear first and foremost, on what, what their important values are. And I use an exercise, and, and, and it, it's, it's been designed deliberately to, to get people to think at different levels in terms of their personal values. Because if I was to say to you, James, you know, in the context of your career, we're talking about career, we're talking about work, what's important to you, you're going to start to reel off some of the things that are really important to you. And that's great because you're going to be smiling like you are now and you're going to get animated and you're going to think, yeah, these things are really important, but they might not be the only important thing. So I'm going to ask you some more questions then because I really want you to go deeper because the deeper we go with our values, we might unearth some 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 kind of unconscious values that we weren't really aware of. So when, I, when you think you're exhausted telling me what's important to you about work, I'm going to say to you, look, can you think of a time when you were really motivated? in the work that you were doing. What were you doing? What was happening? Describe it to me. And as you describe it to me, I'm going to draw certain words out of what you said. You mentioned this at that point. You mentioned that. You were leading uh, on this project here, or you were the one responsible, or you got recognised for that. Are those things important to you? Because you haven't mentioned them when I asked you what's important to you in the country. And you're like, yes, they're important as well. Well, let's get them down. So we've got them as well. You're feeling pretty good at this point. And I'm and I'm feeling pretty good because we've got this list of values at this stage. And then I'm going to throw a couple of other questions in, really just to challenge your thinking. And I'm going to say to you, let's imagine for a moment, James, all of those values that you've shared with me as being important in terms of work. Let's assume. You've got them right now in your role that you're doing, okay? What else would cause you to leave? And this is where I'm asking you to think about, look at those values. What else? Stop and pause for a minute. What else would cause you to leave? If all of these values were present and you were happy, what else would cause you to leave? And you tend to get a couple of things that people haven't considered, probably because they've overlooked them. You'd be surprised the amount of people that I take through this exercise that get to the point of answering this question and they say, the family, if something happened to my family, right? But they don't value that as important necessarily. But it is important because they're telling me now, if something happened to their family, then they would leave. You know, if the organisation uprooted and moved to uh, Doncaster, there's nothing against Doncaster, but then you'd be like, well, there's no way I could move away from my family. So location's important. Right, OK. And, and you get 
the depth. And you don't have to be as experienced as I am. And and and, and I don't use that flippantly. This is all practice. I've learned all this and 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 done lots of lots of interventions and, and, and sessions with people around values. You can do it, you just gotta start. And then when we've added that bit, I'm going to ask you one final question, okay? Because if you've told me that family and, and location are important to you, I'm then going to say to you, okay, what else would cause you to stay? Now, that sounds like a daft question to ask, but I'm going to ask you to, that because I want you to consider, is there something that you haven't thought of that would also allow you to stay and is also important to you? And then once we've got all those values, I'm going to ask you to rank them. Um, and, and there's not an exact science, but I'm going to ask you to rank them from number one. This is the most important. Look at your list. doesn't matter where you put them down. Look at the list and and rank them and write a number next to each of them. Number one, this, number two, and so on, until you've done them all. And then I'm going to ask you to write down your top five. Because as well as, 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 as much as all those values are important to you, actually our top five are, are key if we want to understand at any point whether people are stuck or how happy people are in terms of the work that they're doing right now. Because if you say to me, these are my top five, and then I say to you, James, right, out of your top five, how many right now are being met? I'm going to link that right back to the conversation that you just shared with me about your loved one when you got in from work last week. Because that top five will tell me everything I need to know. And if you say to me, four or five out of five are present, the likely it is what you're doing right now you're happy with. And I can see that. I can see that in terms of your behaviour. I can see that in terms of your results. But if you tell me only one or two, I'm going to be a little bit cheeky and I'm going to say to you, have you updated your CV? And you want to smile. Or I'm going to say, have you had a dentist appointment recently? And you're going to be like, huh? Oh, yeah, dentist appointment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, because these are the signs. And if you then say to me, yeah, these three aren't being met and you, I put that conversation that you've just had with me about I'm unhappy about this and miserable with that and you won't believe this, it's pointing to the values. And then it's a case of what do we do with it? What I would add while we're talking about values is one of the most important values for some people, not everybody, today that we hadn't seen before the pandemic is working from home. Now, people might have put that in their values as I took them through an exercise in the past, but it wouldn't feature in their top five. It's starting to feature in people's top five, which is a challenge for organisations because this is how it works. If working from home is in your top five um, and let's say, you know, one or two other values aren't being met, that, that's going to be a problem because that person's already looking elsewhere. And they're probably looking at employers that allow them to work from home. Now, a leader in an organisation might turn around and say, well, if we can get your other four top five values being met and in alignment, that might be enough. It might be, but it, it often depends on how high up that working from home is. Um, and this is where people will make decisions. I spoke to a colleague um, last week and he's got, uh, between him and his, his wife, they've got five children between the age of 20 and 26. And two out of the five have turned around and said, if we get made to work from the office, I'm going to go and find another job. And these are millennials. In fact, there might be Gen Zs that are saying that actually working from home is an important value for me. And that's one of the things I'm going to look for. One of the questions I was going to ask was about whether 
our personal values change as the context of our lives change. And it, it seems, you know, from what you said, that that's very clearly the case. So presumably we should return to, to think about our values and do exercises like the one you've described um, reasonably often so that we've got that sort of guiding compass around it, what matters it, it, it does and 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 the signs are there you know somebody that goes off on maternity to have a baby their values change even from a paternity perspective you know first time dad their values change somebody that gets promoted into their first management position their values change we know not everybody enjoys that first that first management position it's because their values are changing so there there are signs that we can look for. So I've got just about one last question I want to to touch on, which is clearly from what you've said, values make a big difference to us as individuals and our fulfillment at work. Getting our values right and being in roles that fit with our values lead to us being you know, more engaged in our work, probably performing to a higher level, which helps organizations. So so clearly there is a win-win around this for individuals and organizations. my my sense is that for many organizations, conversations about values don't take place. It's a little bit of an out there conversation. It's maybe a bit touchy-feely for some organizations, depending on the sectors that you're in. There could be some natural aversion to bringing this into open conversations, introducing common language about things like this. Um, so I guess my, my question is, if somebody out there is a leader and who's saying, well, you know, I can clearly see benefits in this, and, and obviously they're there, how can we go about introducing this type of language and conversation into an organization so that we can get some of the benefits of discovering values and, and changing our ways um, and, and jobs to, to support people to be more aligned to their values. I think in many ways, organizations are, are better set up than they realize. And, and the reason I think they're better set up than they realize is in most cases, they have uh, an organizational vision and they have organizational values. And really, you know, it, it's how we extend those conversations to say, these are the values for us as an organization. How do they fit with you? And, and, and we know that when people are applying for roles in an organization and wanting to go and work for that organization, they're looking for a good fit. And, and they're looking for a fit in value, but we just don't use that language. So we've got a perfect opportunity. If we don't do a recruitment, and I, and I try to encourage organizations when they're recruiting people to ask those questions that I just asked you, you know, in the context of work, what's important to you? Um, if we don't do it then, we've got an opportunity when people come into the organization and they're onboarded or go through an induction or they spend that first couple of weeks with their manager to say, have you had a look at the business values? How do they fit with your values? In fact, what are your values? And it, it doesn't have to be a difficult conversation. It can be just an adult-to-adult conversation. We don't have to go down the touchy-feely bit because we're using the organizational values. You know, I work for Marks and Spencer Money in my, in my career. Their values were the same values as M&S. Quality, value, service, innovation, and trust. And if somebody were to sit, ne- sit me down and say, Jeff, these are the values of M&S. How do they fit with your values? Well, trust is really important, actually. Um, and and service is 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 hugely important because um you know that's where I do my best stuff. I might need some work around quality and and innovation. I'm I'm not sure I get that and where that fits in my role. But we've started a conversation, and I think as long as organisations have a vision and values, um, then those conversations don't have to be difficult. I think we we make them more difficult because as you've rightly said. Our perception is these are touchy-feely type conversations. Well, they can be if you if 
if that if the conversation allows it to be, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, Daniel Goleman and emotional intelligence and those type of people would would view that as empathy and social awareness. So, you know, we absolutely want to be doing a little bit more uh, of that. And the, the great thing for me is if, if we're prepared to have conversations about values, then actually it becomes a lot easier to have conversations about well-being or performance because, you know, I, I use the iceberg as a reference point. We can see through people's performance how they're doing, good, bad or indifferent. We can then drop down and look at the service level that says, well, what are the behaviours that are driving those performances? And if we're bold enough, we can go underneath and explore values with people and say, ah, I can see why you're not behaving and getting those results. It's linked to your values. So I think it is easier than we realize and the starting point we already have, because in a lot of cases, organizations have some organizational values. Brilliant. Well, I'm going to start to wrap us up here. I, I think it, it, you know, reflecting back a little bit on this conversation, I think it's clear that individuals can take some action to explore values and, and you know, pursue some of the exercises you spoke about and even just do some of the reflection about what's working for them and what isn't and, and what's making them feel stuck and what's helping them feel unstuck. Um, and it feels clear that organizations or leaders specifically can start to open up some of those conversations. And if both parties do that, it would lead us to a good place. Um, uh, in the interest of time, I'm going to wrap us up. Um, I just wanted to hand over to you to see if you could share uh, a little bit more about how people can learn more about you or find your book or explore some of the activities that you reference when we were speaking earlier. Well, it's very kind, James. Um, and thank you for um, being a wonderful host and, and, and delving into to, to some of the topics that we've we've delved into. If people want to find out a little bit more, the best place for them to go is the Stuck Now What website. So stucknowwhat.com. And the reason I say that is not only can they um, download uh, a free workbook, uh, which has um, all of the exercises um, from the book itself in relation to the six Vs, which, which I know we haven't discussed here, but you know, vision, values, view, vehicle, um, valor and voice. It's got all the exercises there. So if they, if they just want to dive into the values exercise, first and foremost, they can do. Um, they'll also find some other bits and pieces on, on that website, uh, which they can get access to. And they can watch a couple of videos uh, and they can download um, a free uh, copy of chapter one of the book. So if, if they're intrigued and, and they want to you know, either do this as an individual or a leader, then, then that would be the best place to go. Stucknowwhat.com. Um, download those bits and pieces and by all means get in touch let me know uh, ask me some questions and, and if I can help then then I'll respond to those and uh, give you the benefit of my experience as well brilliant and we'll share a link to stucknowwhat.com uh, when we share a podcast as well so it's just time for me to say a huge thank you great conversation really interesting topic huge thanks Jeff you're most welcome thank you for having me thanks for listening to this episode don't forget as well as these podcasts we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that everyone can attend. You can sign up for these and our newsletter, The Wow Mail, on our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io.